This is the Defrag, I'm Christopher Lawson. During the Russian invasion of Ukraine, one voice has stood out from the crowd, and that is Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. Peace in your country doesn't depend anymore only on you and your people. It depends on those next to you, on those who are strong. He's an unusual president in that he doesn't come from a career in politics. He actually comes from comedy. He played the Ukrainian president in the TV series Servant of the People. And in 2019, he was elected the actual president in a landslide victory. So who is Zelensky? And how has he been able to drum up so much support from other nations? Well, Zelensky is interesting. He, he sort of came from the clouds in that he he was politically a nobody previously. He was, in fact, an actor, a comedian, who uh, starred in a a series where he played, funnily enough, Ukraine's president um, and various other roles, like being the Ukrainian voice of Paddington Bear uh, when it was dubbed into Ukrainian. Uh, I'm Matthew Sussex. I'm a senior fellow at the Strategic and Defence Studies Centre at the ANU. Ukraine itself has had a huge problem with uh, not just uh, political turmoil, with you know various leaders ending up being poisoned or done for corruption or fleeing, um, and uh, and this was you know exactly the same kind of sort of turbulent uh, continuation of Ukrainian politics. So Zelensky came to power, uh, basically saying, "I'm going to try and clean up Ukraine. Um, I'm going to try and." you know, restore some sort of order to society. We want to get back on a path towards, you know, eventually EU membership and, and so forth. So de- definitely a, a pro-Western approach that saw him uh, saw him elected. And uh, before this conflict started, interestingly enough, a lot of people had dismissed him as a lightweight. They said that uh, he wasn't going to be able to cut it uh, against Putin. Uh, he'd be absolutely walked over and, uh, and a pushover. But you know, the reality is is anything but. Um, his office is obviously exceptionally good at messaging uh, and information operations and narratives, and uh, it's turned him into something of uh, something of a hero. He does seem to have, you know, embraced this sort of like man of the people um, sort of style of of leadership, which is which is kind of an interesting position for a political leader, you know, because he he does it so well. Yeah, I mean, he manages to to do sort of populist without shouting, um, and I, look, obviously the circumstances help. In <laughs> I'm sure he'd rather not be in this, those circumstances, but the circumstances do help in that he's. You know, his country is under attack and being, you know, his cities are being shelled uh, by invading Russian forces. So it makes it kind of easier for him to uh, to say, look, you know, we are the people in the white hats. We are the ones who, you know, weren't aggressive in any of this. Uh, and we're the ones that need assistance. But, you know, that said, um, plenty of leaders have, have helmed their country during wartime and done far, far worse. Um, He's in fact doing much, much better. You know, the fact that he goes to the U.S. or at least you know uh, via video to the U.S. Congress and uh, gives an impassioned speech uh, and ends up with 800 million bucks worth of um, uh, worth of military aid and equipment is is something that's quite extraordinary. Uh, and it's basically the United States giving him 
the next best thing to what he wanted, which was uh, a no-fly zone. So he has been extremely effective, both, I think, in reaching out to political elites, but also in touching a nerve with people who live in democratic states uh, in the West. Has it been surprising the use of social media by, you know, not just Zelensky, but you know, many others in, in the Ukrainian government as well during this during this crisis. Like, they've really um, effectively used social media to drum up that support from other nations. Yeah, I mean, there have been people saying that, that this is the first social media war. Um, I, I guess I don't think that is the case, really. You know, the first social media war or a number of other wars have utilised social media a lot, certainly in Nagorno-Karabakh, um, certainly in Syria as well. But this is, I think, probably the first time where you've seen, you know, the the leadership as well as activists, as well as, you know, journalists, citizen, citizen journalists, um, promoting uh, basically the same line and, and the same line because it is actually based on things that you can empirically see with your own eyes, whether it's the result of a bomb attack on a hospital whether it's the result of, uh, you know, uh, citizens being gunned down while they're waiting for bread. It all kind of corroborates the story. So there's less room, I think, for the kind of, you know, smoke and mirrors that often does go on when it comes to social media. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't, of course. There are all sorts of, you know, memes and, um, you know, sort of totems built up with this war the ghost of kiev was one of them you know this uh this fighter pilot who was supposedly shooting down loads of russian jets in uh in, in the end turned out not to be true um so there is certainly media manipulation going on by ukraine um and in its casualty counts as well but uh there's plenty for them to be able to put video up and say, look, this thing happened for, for journalists and for people to be able to corroborate and say, yeah, a lot of this is in fact happening. It was initially predicted that this war could have been over in just a couple of days. Russia's army is significant and Ukraine's army is small in comparison. So did Vladimir Putin underestimate Ukraine and the passion that Zelensky was able to drum up? That's coming up after this short break. Thanks for listening to The Defrag. Our goal with the show is to build a self-sustaining news brand that dives into and explores the intersection of technology, business, politics and science. For the defrag to be a true success, we really need your support. We don't want to be reliant on just having to find advertisers, but we do want the core of our content to remain free. Which is why at our website, thedefrag.com, you can support the show by becoming a member of our free newsletter, or you can become a paid supporter. There are membership plans ranging from just $9 a month up to $50 a month, depending on how you want to support the show. And for your support, you'll get a range of different perks, including an ad-free version of the podcast, access to exclusive VIP events and live streams, and we'll send everyone that signs up a sticker pack. You can find out more at our website, thedefrag.com. The Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, might just be the wartime leader that Ukraine needed. A voice of the people who can stand up to Putin, unite the West, 
and rally Ukraine's citizens into action. So did Russia underestimate Ukraine going into this conflict? Oh, absolutely. There, there were a bunch of uh, there were a bunch of underestimations. I think that went on. The first one was that uh, Putin underestimated the capability of his own armed forces, um, and that's been you know fairly well documented as the product of um, a whole bunch of, of creative accountancy when it comes to to what the Russians had on paper. Uh, versus what they had in actuality, uh, as well as problems with their doctrine and training and so forth. But the second miscalculation was this idea that Putin seemed to get into his head um, that the Ukrainians would welcome Russian soldiers with open arms. The uh, you know that they they were led by a cater of Nazi thugs in league with the West and in league with NATO. Uh, whereas in reality, of course, quite the reverse has happened. They weren't greeted with flowers, they were greeted with Molotov cocktails. Thanks to President Zelensky's pleas, NATO countries have provided significant support to Ukraine. However, this support is a delicate balance. While nations want to sanction Russia and help arm Ukraine, they also don't want to be directly involved in the conflict, which is why we haven't seen a no-fly zone implemented. The concern is that the conflict could escalate outside of Ukraine. The other issue, which we've mentioned on this show before, is that Russia controls so much of the gas and oil supply for European nations. You know, even countries like Poland get a lot of their gas from, well, virtually all their gas from uh, from Russia. Um, so there is that that energy dependency that European nations have frankly allowed to build up. Um, because it's convenient and it's relatively cheap. Uh, but now I think there's, there's you know, a strong feeling that you need to have not just security of supply of energy, but you need to make sure that the person supplying or the country supplying it to you um, doesn't use it for strategic purposes. So this is why, for instance, you've had Germany signing a big deal with Qatar for natural gas. Uh, and they've said just overnight, well, you know, we might need Russian gas until the end of the year, uh, but after that, you know, we can uh, we can get it from the Middle East. Uh, so this sort of diversification away from Russia is something that is long overdue, frankly, because it allows significant influence by Moscow uh, over EU capitals. Given all of the sanctions, etc., I know it's a bit of a sort of political minefield for NATO. Is there really anything else that NATO countries can do here? Um, or are they sort of at the cap of what they can do without, you know, creating a greater problem? Well, I mean, they've done an, they've done an awful lot already. Uh, it's estimated that the Russian economy will shrink by 20% in terms of GDP. That's quite considerable. Um, the thing left, obviously, is energy supplies um, and, uh, you know, th- there is frenetic work around the clock being done to see if, uh, you know, liquid natural gas terminals in European port cities uh, would be able to uh, compensate for Russian gas. Um, now, it's possible that, you know, some of that might be the case uh, and might be possible, but I think that's in the long term the next step that the European countries just completely wean themselves off. Russian gas. Um, that doesn't mean that Russia won't be able to sell it elsewhere, of course, but it does mean that they are less beholden um, to or less sensitive to uh, to Moscow's uh, you know demands when it comes to these types of conflicts. Because, frankly, 
if Putin gets his way in Ukraine, then there's nothing to stop him saying, well, you know, the Estonians don't have any real identity, they're not a real country, um, and, uh, and have a look at them next. Also making news today, Epic has announced that it will be donating all proceeds from sales in the popular Fortnite franchise for the next two weeks to the efforts in Ukraine. Fortnite has just launched a new season and will donate proceeds made until April 3rd to a mixture of humanitarian and aid organisations including UNICEF and the UN Refugee Programme. The Biden administration has found that the Myanmar military committed genocide and crimes against humanity against the Rohingya minority. Back in 2017, Myanmar's military attacked the Rohingya Muslim community in Rakhine state, forcing over 700,000 people to flee into neighboring Bangladesh. Myanmar's military has previously claimed they were conducting anti-terrorist operations. In 2018, the UN said the Myanmar military should face charges of genocide. However, at the time, the US referred to it as ethnic cleansing, which has no legal definition. Now the US is formally calling it genocide. Despite repeated attempts at dialogue, Myanmar's military is still in control of the country and is refusing to hand back power to the civilian government. And Telegram has had its ban lifted in Brazil. Late last week, Brazil's Supreme Court banned Telegram after the app ignored court orders regarding the removal of an account spreading misinformation. Brazilian officials have been worried about incorrect information being spread on the platform ahead of presidential elections later this year. Telegram said at the time that the court emailed the wrong address, and they've now quickly responded to the ban and are actively making changes in Brazil to combat misinformation. Defrag is a production of Lawson Media. The show today was produced and hosted by me, Christopher Lawson. I'd love to see more people join the Defrag community, so come and join our Discord. It's completely free and the link is in the episode show notes. That's all the news for today. I'll be back with more tomorrow.